and welcome to another broadcast of Sunshine USA. <laughs> also, welcome to the podcast known as Sunshine USA. Uh, we are doing uh, a number of platforms all across America. On this particular platform, uh, known as Anchor FM, we're also getting through to Spotify and other platforms. And uh, we're just excited every time we get to add another platform because it means just that many more people that we get to reach with the gospel of Jesus Christ. And, uh, of course, Sunshine USA as a ministry, where I am the host of this program and the Bible teacher, as a ministry, our goal is, number one, to preach and proclaim the gospel of Jesus Christ as Savior and Lord. And number two, our goal is to teach God's people the Bible, the Word of God. And, you know, it, it's amazing you know, as I look at Christians and churches all across America, I see Christians who have an amazing lack of knowledge of the Word of God. And and some of these people are people that have been Christians for many, many years, many years. And their understanding of the Word of God is something that leaves a lot to be desired. <laughs> they don't know very much. And, of course, you can't share the word if you don't know the word. And you really can't have the joy of putting the word of God to use in your life if you don't know the word. And so that is the twofold purpose of this uh, particular program. And uh, we also like to bring encouragement to you by way of the Internet. I'm convinced that the Internet can be a source of encouragement, a source of Bible teaching, the source of gospel preaching, and so it's a wonderful thing. And uh, today, this morning, in fact, I was looking out my bedroom window, and I was able to watch some of the members over at San Susi Church across the street from where I live, and they had decided to donate uh, at least four or five hours on their Saturday to help do some outdoor cleanup work at the church. Everything from power washing to putting out mulch, maybe a little bit of painting, and you name it, they were doing it. And it looked like they were having a good time doing it. And, uh, uh, of course, churches across America have these church cleanup days, which I think are a good idea. It promotes Christian fellowship, and, of course, it saves money. Uh, a lot of times in the past, churches have had to hire janitors and some churches nowadays, because of the lack of a budget, they don't have much of a janitorial crew. And so there are special days during the year where the congregation just bands together and they do some cleanup, both indoors and outdoors. And I think it's a marvelous thing. And it was even a good witness as well because of the fact it showed the community. Uh, here's people that love the Lord and they love their church so much that they're wanting to get the church all cleaned up and ready for Easter Sunday in a couple of weeks. And, um, you know, it's just a great witness. <laughs> you know, I'm, I'm a firm believer. I don't believe the church necessarily has to be the biggest building in town, but I think it should be clean. I think it should be neat-looking, well-kept. And when it is, it's a great testimony to the Lord. People that love the Lord and want God's house to be clean. Amen. Well, let's uh, get out our Bibles 
and turn in our Bibles to uh, um, the book of Mark. That's where we are right now, the book of Mark, the Gospel of Mark. And believe it or not, we are in the last two chapters of the Gospel of Mark. And uh, we're trying to pull it up here. At least I'm trying to pull it up. And uh, well, uh, this has never happened to me before. Usually, uh, yeah, here we go. Here it is. <laughs> Usually, whenever I want a Bible book brought up, it comes up. And uh, now here it is, Mark. And we're wanting to go to chapter 15, Mark chapter 15. Like I say, there's only 16 chapters in the book of Mark. So we're definitely nearing the end of our study. But there's still, in these two chapters, a lot of material for us to cover. Now... In the last broadcast, we talked about Jesus being arrested after being betrayed by Judas. And, you know, like Jesus said to the disciples, he said, you know, he said, I'm going to be crucified on the cross, just as the scriptures say. But he says, woe to him that would actually crucify me by betraying me. And... The fact that Judas was one of the twelve made it even more shocking. I mean, nobody likes to be betrayed. I mean, let's face it. And to be betrayed by someone that you love, to be betrayed by someone that you trust in, someone you have confidence in, it really hurts. And I'm sure it did with Jesus. And so Jesus is arrested. He's brought before the Sanhedrin. And it's interesting, he's brought into the Sanhedrin at night. Now, I heard one time uh, a legal expert come to a church one time, and he talked about the crucifixion of Jesus from a legal perspective. He said, being a lawyer myself, he said, when I study how the case of Jesus was handled, I see quite a few mistakes here. One mistake, of course, was that you had a court proceeding at night. And, and in fact, it appears that it probably went on through much of the night, maybe all night. Now, this was totally contrary to judicial law at that particular time. It wasn't permitted. We also noted yesterday in our trial coverage of Jesus that it turns out that Jesus um, was accused by false witnesses. I mean, let's be honest, we're not surprised by that because there's no way that anybody could truthfully testify against Jesus because he hadn't done anything wrong. He hadn't broken any laws. And so there were two or more false witnesses that had come forward to uh, make their statements against Jesus. And then we find 
that not only that, but you, you just have a variety of legal errors that were made. And now today, we have Jesus before Pilate. And like I say, the night was quite exhausting, I'm sure. It was a night in which Judas betrayed Jesus and Peter denied Jesus. And now we have Jesus being delivered to Pilate. It says, early in the morning, the chief priests, elders, and scribes, and the whole Sanhedrin devised a plan. They bound Jesus, led him away, and handed him over to Pilate. So Pilate questioned him, are you the king of the Jews? Now, think about this for a minute. In binding Jesus over to Pilate, It's very interesting that the Sanhedrin, they couldn't get anywhere with Jesus, so they bind him over to Pilate. Now, understand that the Sanhedrin wanted Jesus crucified. In other words, they wanted Jesus to receive the death penalty. Now, one of the legal limitations of the Sanhedrin was the fact that they could not seek the death penalty. They did not have the, th the authority or the power to put someone to death. So they bind him over to Pilate. This is the beginning of their handing the process over to the Roman government system. Now, the reason they wanted the Romans to ultimately crucify Jesus was because, I think, of two reasons. Number one, it meant that the Jews could truthfully claim they did not crucify Jesus. And number two, they knew that the Romans had the ability to sentence Jesus to die. They didn't have that authority. So they hand him over to Pilate. So Pilate questioned him, and he says, Are you the king of the Jews? You have so said. Jesus replied, And the chief priest began to accuse him of many things. So here we have the priests. They're still making their accusations, but now he's in the Roman system of government. Then Pilate questioned him again. Have you no answer? Look how many charges they are bringing against you. But to Pilate's amazement, Jesus made no further reply. You know, the Bible prophesied in the Old Testament, Jesus would be led like a lamb to the slaughter. So it indicated Jesus would be silent have nothing to say. And really, when you think about it, it wouldn't have done them any good to say anything. Because you see, the crowd's mind was already made up. It says, Now it was Pilate's custom at the feast to release to the people a prisoner of their choosing. And a man named Barabbas was in prison with the rebels who had committed murder during, an during the insurrection. So the crowd went up and began 
asking Pilate to keep his custom. Do you want me to release to you the king of the Jews, Pilate asked? For he knew it was out of envy that the chief priest had handed Jesus over. <laughs> but the chief priest stirred up the crowd to have him release Barabbas to them instead. So Pilate asked them again, What then do you want me to do with the one that you call the king of the Jews? Now, you know, we're going to stop here a moment because you see that's a very profound question. He says, what shall I do then with this man named Jesus? And you see, that is a question that every single man and woman in this country and around the world has to answer. What are you going to do about Jesus? And you can't decide not to decide because, you see, not to decide is to decide. There's no way you can simply stay on the fence. Jesus himself said, you're either for me or against me. You're either scattering with me or scattering against me. What are you going to do about Jesus? This is a critical decision that everybody must answer. And you see, the thing about it is, it's a question that is more important than any other question you will face in this lifetime. Now, I mean, I know that <laughs> all of us around the world, we make so many decisions. What kind of school are we going to? What kind of career are we going to choose? Are we going to get married? Who are we going to marry? What kind of car are we going to drive? Where are we going to work? What kind of career are we going to pursue? So many different questions that we're going to make in the course of our lifetime. But there's one decision you will make more important than any other decision you will make, and that's the decision about Jesus Christ. And think about it this way. Only the decision that you make about Christ will matter a hundred years from now. You see, a hundred years from now, most of you listening to this podcast right now most of you listening to this podcast right now, 100 years from now, you know what? Most of you are going to be in eternity. You're not going to be here in this world anymore. And when you die, the only question that you will have faced in this lifetime that affects you in the next lifetime is this decision about what are you going to do with the Lord Jesus Christ. You have to make this decision. And they shouted back, crucify him, crucify him. Why, asked Pilate, what evil has he done? But they crowded, they shouted out all the louder, crucify him, crucify him. Now, it seems to me the crowd was making itself perfectly well-known at this point. As far as Pilate was concerned, he had no choice but to follow through with the decision to crucify Jesus. But he also made it perfectly clear to the audience that he found no fault with Jesus. 
In fact, it says in verse 15, in wishing to satisfy the crowd, Pilate released Barabbas to them. But he had Jesus flogged and handed him over to be crucified. Now you'll recall that some of the versions of the Bible indicate that as Pilate was handing Jesus over to be crucified, he was washing his hands in the sink. Once again, making it very clear, I find no fault whatsoever in this man. No fault. Then the soldiers led Jesus away into the palace, that is the praetorium, and called the whole company together. They dressed him in a purple robe, twisted together a crown of thorns, and set it on his head, and they began to salute him, Hail, King of the Jews! They kept striking his head with the staff and spitting on him, and they knelt down and bowed before them. And after they mocked him, they removed the purple robe and put on his clothes back on him. Then they led him out to crucify him. Now think about this. Here they are literally mocking Jesus, making fun of Jesus, spitting on him, hitting him. Can you imagine how humiliating that was? And of course, an eyewitness to all this is none other than Mary, the mother of Jesus. It had to be crushing her heart to see her son treated in this manner. I don't know how many of you have seen the movie, The Passion of the Christ. If you haven't seen it yet, I would recommend that you see it. It's one of the most moving movies I've ever seen, showing the story of that first Easter. Now, it's very graphic, and this is especially true about the scenes of the movie surrounding the crucifixion on the cross. It's very gory. It is very graphic. And this, there are parts of this movie I would suggest that you not let young children see it. In fact, the crucifixion scene is so graphic, it actually earned the movie an R rating. And so as parents you get to decide for yourself whether you want your child to see this movie in its entirety. But it is a movie that I think very graphically shows all that Jesus went through on the cross. And, and you know, it's kind of amazing when you think about it. We have, in our culture today, we have made such a beautiful piece of jewelry out of the cross. Some churches inside their church auditorium, they have gold crosses. 
many church steeples have a cross on top of that steeple. In fact, right now, as I look out my bedroom window here in Greenville, South Carolina, I see the steeple of San Susi Church across the street. That's the church I'm a member of. And on the top of that steeple, there is a cross. And I have to say, it looks pretty good. But how we view the cross today is nothing compared to what the cross actually looked like in the day of Jesus. It was a bloody mess. Now, bearing in mind, the cross was actually an instrument of execution. It was one of the primary ways that the Roman government executed people. And back in those days, there were quite a few people which received the death sentence of crucifixion. And so the whole area around the cross was a bloody mess, as you could well imagine. Now, in some ways, this scene here is even more bloody because they're up against a tight deadline. They not only have to get Jesus on the cross, but he has to die and he has to be buried in a relatively short span of time because of the approaching Passover. And then we come to the crucifixion himself. It says, now, Simon of Cyrene, the father of Alexander and Rufus, was passing by on his way in from the country, and the soldiers forced him to carry the cross of Jesus. Now this lets us know that Jesus' body was greatly weakened. I imagine at this point he's already lost lots of blood. He hasn't had anything to eat in a while now. So I would imagine that with all that, plus he hasn't had any sleep in a few days, I would imagine he is just bone tired. No wonder they had to get someone to help carry the cross for him. And they brought Jesus to a place called Golgotha, which means the place of the skull. Now there they offered him wine mixed with myrrh, but he did not take it. And they crucified him. And they also divided his garments by casting lots to decide what each of them would take. It was the third hour when they crucified him. Now, the third hour in this case would have been basically 9 o'clock in the morning. And the charge inscribed against him read, The King of the Jews. Along with Jesus, they crucified two robbers, or two thieves, one on his right and one on the left. And those who passed by heaped abuse on him, shaking their heads and saying, Aha! You are going to destroy the temple and rebuild it in three days. Come down from the cross and save yourself. In the same way, the chief priests and the scribes mocked him among themselves, saying, He saved others, but he cannot save himself. Let Christ, the king, of Israel come down now from the cross 
so that we may see and believe. Now, let me comment there a little bit. Even if Jesus had done that, I seriously doubt that they would have believed. They would have said, well, this is just a gimmick. we got to figure out how he did it, what he did. It says that from the sixth hour, which would be 12 noon to the ninth hour, which is 3 p.m., darkness covered all the land. So the sixth hour to the ninth hour, that's three hours, noon to 3 p.m. At the ninth hour, which was 3 p.m., Jesus cried out in a loud voice, Eloi, Eloi, Lemma, Sabachthani, which means, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Now, think about it this way. Here Jesus is on the cross, and he's not there for his own sins. He's committed no sins. He hasn't done anything illegal. Amen? Hasn't done anything illegal. But here he is dying on the cross like a common criminal, paying the price for my sins and your sins and the sins of the whole world. And when God saw that, he had to look away. And for the moment, it appeared as if God had indeed forsaken Christ, even though he hadn't. When some of those standing nearby heard this, they said, Behold, he is calling Elijah. And someone ran and filled a sponge with sour wine and put it on a reed and held it up for Jesus to drink, saying, Leave him alone. Let us see if Elijah comes to take him down. But Jesus cried out in a loud cry and breathed his last. And the veil of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom. Let me read that again. And the veil of the temple was torn in two from the top to the bottom. I, I was listening to a sermon this afternoon on television, Christian television. And the preacher was asking the question, he said, do you have any idea how many animals were killed in the Old Testament when they were making all those offerings and sacrifices in the Old Testament? It came to quite a bit of blood. They said the average sheep, for example, produces about four gallons of blood. Think about all the blood that had been shed because of sin in the Old Testament. But now the interesting thing to note here is the fact that this blood in the Old Testament it had no ability whatsoever to permanently get rid of sin. The most it could do is provide a covering for sin, and that only for one year. And the following year, it had to be done all over again. But now, Jesus became that perfect lamb 
that lamb without spot or blemish, who shed his blood one time for the entire human race. And he died for all of our sins, past, present, and future. Folks, I don't know about you, that gets pretty exciting for me. <laughs> Amen. Even though I'm a Baptist, hey, I want to shout. And if I were physically able, I might feel like jumping over a pew. Amen. It said, now when the centurion standing there in front of Jesus saw how he had breathed his last, he said, truly, this man was the son of God. Thank God for a Roman soldier who apparently realized this was the Son of God. And I would not be at all surprised if he became a believer right there on the spot. And there were also women watching from a distance, among them Mary Magdalene, Mary the mother of Jesus, and Mary the mother of James the younger and of Joseph and Salome. These women had followed Jesus and ministered to him while he was in Galilee. And there were many other women who had come up from Jerusalem with him. Now, you know, this is where you might say the women put the men to shame. One of the things I pointed out on the last broadcast is the fact that the disciples all of a sudden started following Jesus at a guilty distance. The only disciple that came anywhere near the cross that I could see was John, the beloved disciple. And of course, John was told by Jesus to take care of his mother. But the other disciples... They were pretty hard to find at this point because they were afraid that they too would be put to death. And so they wanted to keep a healthy distance from Jesus. But these women, I tell you, they put their neck out on the line for Jesus. It says, now it was already evening since it was preparation day, that is the day before the Sabbath, Joseph of Arimathea, a prominent council member who himself was waiting for the kingdom of God. Now you have to understand some of the Jewish people in that day, they were looking for a political savior. They were looking for a Messiah who would come and set up his earthly kingdom right here on this earth. Now, of course, we know today that that will still happen. It didn't happen then, but it will happen. Only it will happen at the end of the tribulation period. During an event known as the millennial reign of Christ. But Joseph is one of those that's looking for an earthly kingdom to be set up. So he boldly went before Pilate to ask for the body of Jesus. Now, Pilate was supposed to hear that Jesus was already dead. 
So he summoned the centurion to ask if it was so. And when Pilate had confirmed it with the centurion, he granted the body to Joseph. So apparently Pilate wanted to make sure that Jesus was dead and not still alive. And when it was confirmed to Pilate that Jesus was in fact dead, apparently Pilate had no trouble giving the body of Jesus to Joseph. And it's actually in Joseph's tomb that Jesus is buried. Of course, he wouldn't need it for long, only for three days. <laughs> you know, it was kind of interesting. Jesus was the first person who didn't need a permanent grave. In fact, the grave he was looking for was only going to be needed for three days. Amen? <laughs> Amen. So Joseph bought a linen cloth and took down the body of Jesus and wrapped it in cloth and wrapped and placed it rather in a tomb that had been cut out of the rock. And then he rolled a stone against the entrance of the tomb. Mary Magdalene and Mary, the mother of jo Joseph, saw where his body was placed. Now, you know, that burial cloth of Jesus is still interesting and it's still talked about even to this day. I was watching, I think, just this past Monday night, it was a very interesting program about the burial shroud of Jesus. The burial shroud of Jesus, or at least the, the, the well, it's actually called the Shroud of Turan, that's the official name of this cloth. They don't actually call it the burial cloth of Jesus because no one knows for sure if it is. Uh, many unbelieving scientists don't believe that it is. Some Christian scientists also don't believe that it is. There are other Bible scholars who believe it at least may be the burial cloth of Jesus. I would not be at all surprised by the way if it is. But it was so interesting because if it is, it's just another proof that Jesus died on the cross for our sins. I remember one time um, a man by the name of Josh McDowell wrote a very interesting book. And in this very interesting book, he wrote, that there is actually nothing more historically sound than the life of Jesus on this earth, along with his crucifixion on the cross and even his burial. And of course, you can't deny the empty tomb either. And so historical evidence indicates That Jesus is exactly who he said he was, and he did exactly what he said he came to do. After that, he wrote another book called More Evidence That Demands a Verdict. But in spite of all the evidence being presented, the bottom line is you have to believe. I mean, there's more evidence now than ever before that Jesus did exactly what he said he was going to do. But are you going to believe it? And whether or not you choose to believe it 
is going to have a profound effect on where you spend eternity. Amen? <laughs> Amen, I tell you. And wouldn't this be such a great and wonderful time of the year to get saved? To get saved during the Easter season of the year. That would be so exciting. Now, um, this, of course, brings us officially to the end of chapter 15. And let's see. If I could take a sneak peek at chapter 16. And chapter 16 begins on that first Easter morning. And we'll talk about chapter 16 in our very next uh, program. And we'll talk about what happens immediately after <laughs> Jesus begins making himself known. It's very exciting. You know, it's interesting, the first person that Jesus appears to is actually a woman. <laughs> Not a man, but a woman. <laughs> and you know, I'm not really surprised. Women have done so many things that have been noteworthy for the kingdom of God. I know that as a Southern Baptist, I know that the two biggest offerings we have every year in our Southern Baptist churches is the Lottie Moon Christmas offering and the Annie Armstrong Easter offering. And note that both of these offerings are named after women because of contributions that they made in the area of missions. And so we can be very thankful for all of the mighty contributions made by women to the cause of Christ. Okay, so we're going to do that and then maybe even talk about the Great Commission and the Ascension. All of that awaits us in Mark chapter 16, which, by the way, is the very final uh, chapter in the book of Mark. Now, as I was looking at um, my email here, we got a couple of questions that have come in since the last time we did a program. One person wanted to know, he, he says that when you study the account of the crucifixion, you, you read that the different Gospels have different ways of explaining what happened. How do you account for this? Well, I think I brought this out last time, that... Each of these gospel writers, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, they wrote what they wrote from their own perspective. Now, they, of course, wrote under the leading of God's Holy Spirit. That, that's true. But God allowed all four of these gentlemen to write from their own perspective. Some of these men saw things that others did not see. 
some of these men saw the same thing, but from a different angle. And so it helps explain why some accounts are different from other accounts. But the overall message is certainly there. Amen. And I noticed that was one message that came forth. Uh, here's another interesting email, and it's a question we get all the time, <laughs> this time of year anyway. And that is, was Jesus crucified on a Friday? Was Jesus crucified on a Friday, or was it Wednesday or Thursday? Now, I don't mind telling you, I believe Jesus was crucified on a Friday. Now, I don't split hairs over this. Uh, I have friends who believe Jesus was crucified on Thursday. I have other friends that believe Jesus was cross crucified on a Wednesday. But here's the big thing. I believe it was on a Friday. Now, I was told by a prominent evangelist who was born as a conservative Orthodox Jew. And he got saved while in federal prison. And he pointed out that in the Jewish way of thinking, if a man was dead for any part of the day, he was considered dead for the whole day. And when you do that, you get three days by counting Friday as part of that day. He died before 6 p.m., which would have been the end of Friday. As far as the Jews were concerned, of course, he was dead the whole day Saturday. That was day number two. And he didn't rise from the grave until Sunday morning, which was the start of the third day. That's how you get the three days. In other words, um, what you get there are three days. Not necessarily 72 hours, but you still get the three days. Now, I will tell you this, whether you go along with Thursday as the crucifixion day or Wednesday as the crucifixion day, none of those theories add up exactly to 72 hours. Just doesn't. <laughs> but the important thing is, Jesus died on the cross. He was dead for three days. He rose up from the grave. That is a fact that we can be sure of. Amen. So there you have it. I hope that answers uh, some people's questions here. And um, next time we will start with Mark, chapter number 16. And uh, that is where we will start. And, of course, as you know, Mark chapter 16 is, of course, the very last chapter in the book of Mark. And, by the way, there's some interesting things we could say about that last chapter of Mark. Not all Bible scholars believe that the whole chapter is inspired. Um, there are some... Bible scholars, for example, who I believe feel that only the first eight verses of Mark chapter 16 should be included in the canon. 
But I believe the whole chapter was inspired of God. I believe the whole chapter should be included in the canon, and I might expound on that a little bit further in the next uh, program. But I am glad that you're tuning in. I hope that you will do your part to let other people know about this podcast named Sunshine USA, where this crazy guy, Warren Landis, teaches the Bible. (laughs) Because he knows that the Bible will change people's lives, and it will. And the more you read the Bible, the more you study the Bible, the more you take God at his word inevitably, the more it will change your life. And not just change your life, but also change your life for the better. Well, if you have a Bible study question for me, or if you have a prayer request, the best way to do that is by email. I have two email addresses, warrenlandis at yahoo.com and also warrenlandis at gmail.com. And if you contact me either way, I'll be glad to hear from you. And um, until next time, this is Warren Landis saying goodbye. God bless you, and guess what? I'll see you next time on Sunshine USA.